young parents are just so much fun to watch. I know, at least for me, when we were first had our first child, I was pretty sure I knew everything there was to know about how to be kind of the perfect parent. Uh, you know, I would look at other families and I think, yeah, I'm never gonna let my kid do that because I'm, you know, like a good parent. Or we'd, we'd say like, oh, we're never gonna do that in our house because we're good parents. And then you raise real kids in a real world situation and it gets a lot more murky really, really quickly. For instance, when our kids were little, I swore that we would never enter, under any circumstance ever have any kind of video game system in our house. Never. It was never going to happen. They're the worst. Well, my son finally wore me down by convincing me that the Wii wasn't really a video game system. It was more of like a, a personal fitness tool where you could get exercise by doing bowling and tennis and baseball and skiing and all these really great sports. I mean, it was really more of an exercise thing than a video game system. And, you know, it was way cheaper than a Peloton. So it would, it would really just be good stewardship uh, to get that. And so I, I totally fell for it. And, you know, I, we had a blast with it. I mean, my oldest, when we got that, he spent countless hours playing that Wii system, playing tennis and baseball and all different things. And, and we just spent hours, you know, with the, with the Wii controller, just, you know, swinging and serving and batting and bowling and all these different things. And it was really fun. I got to think the neighbors probably wondered what was going on at the Peterson household. And there was perhaps some fitness benefit to it, as he suggested, until I realized that you didn't actually have to swing. You didn't even really have to get off the couch. I mean, you could just kind of do this and we wouldn't know that you were cheating. I'm not sure there's a whole lot of fitness redemption value in this, right? I think it's an important lesson for us in that our kids can get us to rationalize almost anything. And it's not just if you have kids. I mean, our friends, you could fill that, fill in however you want. Our friends, our spouses, our coworkers, people can get us to rationalize almost anything. So fast forward a couple of years and we're on a family vacation. We're staying at this resort and Ian notices that the resort has a tennis court. And of course he was super excited. You know, you could check out rackets and balls and everything you needed. So we went down, we checked out our rackets, we went on the court. And I started explaining to Ian, you know, how you serve and how you hit the ball and, and you know, how to anticipate. And all of a sudden, he stops me, he cut me off. He goes, Dad, Dad, I know this. I'm super good at tennis. I've played it a ton. I know. And I was like, oh, really? Like, where? Where have you played tennis? He goes, oh, on Wii. Oh, <laughs> of course. You're totally an expert then. Let's see how that works out for you. And of course, it didn't work out. It turns out that running and hitting real balls with a real racket on a real court is way different than this. You know what I'm saying? Ian knew everything about how to play the game. He knew where the boundaries were. He knew what a volley was. He knew what a serve was. He knew the rules. He knew the difference between like the sidelines for the singles game and the sidelines for the doubles game. Ian knew a lot about tennis in here but he'd never actually played the game. See, there's a big difference between knowing the game and playing the game. Today we're concluding our series called Whatever, looking at how we as modern people consume media of all sorts. And by and large, what we found is that when it comes to media choices, most people make their decisions based on whatever's on, whatever's trending, whatever's entertaining, whatever's next in their newsfeed, whatever pops up when you scroll down. And over the past several weeks, we've looked at facts and statistics and information from non-church, non-Christian sources, research 
companies, and they suggest that that sort of indiscriminate consumption of whatever is actually destructive to us relationally and emotionally and spiritually. And the media companies know this. At the beginning of the series, Chris uh, showed us some information, some, some leaked data that had been leaked from Facebook and Instagram that suggested that their own corporate internal research suggested, and they know that their product is damaging to people of all ages, but particularly to people of young ages. Well, that story has just sort of ballooned over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if you've been watching any of the congressional testimony uh, from Frances Haugen. She's a former employee who actually leaked that information. She was a high up within the company. She was in the know and she's testifying before Congress saying this, I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. Wow. I mean, that's from an insider. That's from one of the leaders of the organization. Chris, that first Sunday said, you know, I don't know which is worse. The fact that the companies know that their products harm people and still put them out there, or that we know those products are harmful and we still consume them. There's a big difference between knowing the truth and acting on that truth. We know that simply consuming whatever is destructive to us in so many ways. And that's not just biblical truth. That's like plain old truth truth. That's research truth. We need a new set of whatevers. And that's what brought us to this series this last six weeks. It's what brings us to the conclusion today. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi and to us in this modern age says we should employ a new and a better standard to what we watch and what we listen to and what we read and what we scroll through and what we share with others. He said these words, which at this point might be memorized by you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the standard against which we should be evaluating our consumption. A set of what we call the Philippian filters that we can use to help us determine what we take into our minds and our bodies. And that standard is whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and commendable and lovely and all those things. So where does Paul go next? Let's read next verse. Philippians 4.9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think Paul is saying, at least in part, you've learned this. I've modeled this. You've seen me do it. Now go for it. Go do it. I think Paul is at least in part saying there's a big difference between knowing the game and playing the game. I think Paul is saying stop experiencing a a sort of we version of the Christian experience that doesn't even require you to get off the couch, doesn't require any real effort at all. In fact, you can just kind of sit and flick your wrist and watch. But what kind of health, what kind of spiritual fitness does that lead to? I think in in verse 9, I think Paul is sort of giving us a new set of whatevers, a new whatever for our life, a different whatever. I think he's saying Do whatever it takes to make this a reality in your life. It's like what Paul said in in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. 
And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Stop doing whatever it is you need to stop doing and start doing whatever it is you need to start doing. Build whatever patterns into your daily routines and household rhythms that you need to begin to experience this kind of life. But here's the challenge, though. Many of us have sort of been down this road before. I know I have. Or we get inspired by a great talk like this one. (laughs) Or a great book or a great documentary about the evils of social media. And we say, never again. From this moment on, things are going to be different. And they are. For a few weeks. Or a few days. Or a few hours. Or maybe just the drive home. And then we fall back into those same patterns that we find so discouraging and debilitating and destructive in our own lives. You see, this can't just be about trying harder to do what's right. We've all tried to white knuckle some new resolution in our life. This has to be about putting in new systems in order to succeed. New systems need to be built in. Great talks and inspirational moments are so important, but personal commitments to change are so important. But if it stops there, will there be any real change? We want to do whatever it takes, but we also have a track record of not having that work. So what do we do? Well, first, I think it's it's helpful to note that Paul doesn't say, you see me do these things, so go do it. Do these things. What does Paul say? He says, practice these things. And it's a subtle difference, but at least for me personally, that's actually helpful. That feels more attainable. You see, lasting change requires practice. The word that's used here for practice in Greek is called proso. It's interesting, at least to me, that 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 word appears more than 30 times in Scripture, throughout the whole of Scripture, but it's almost always as a prohibition. It's almost always as a warning to those who practice divination or witchcraft or, or, or sexual immorality or sorcery, saying, don't practice these things. And this is one of the only places in all of scripture where it's done as a positive. Paul is specifically saying, don't practice those things. Instead, practice these things. That word practice, there's a whole lot about practice that resonates with me. If you think about practicing in sports or in music or in art, practice implies learning, trying, progressing, developing, sometimes failing, but getting back up and trying again. Practice implies a safe place to make mistakes on the journey, but to learn from those mistakes and move on. Practice implies that while we don't have it perfected yet, we are doing the work of growing in our skills and our capacities and our motivations. As we wrap up this series today, uh, we want to try a little experiment, something that will help us carry these things that we've learned in the series out of Sunday mornings and into our real lives, out on the real court. You know, not just this we version, but the real life version. There are roughly 40 days between now, this Sunday, today, and Thanksgiving. We want to invite you to join us in an experiment of simply trying to practice these things for 40 days. And then look at the results. Look at the results in your happiness, in your health, in your relationship to God, your relationship to one another. Let's call it 40 days of whatever. And and there's not going to be like a big branding in this. I don't think we're having t-shirts made. Are we having t-shirts made? No? Okay, we're not having t-shirts made. There isn't going to be a website. We simply created this. 
It's a little whatever sticker. I don't know if you could see that from there, but it's a little whatever sticker with the idea being that you could take these little subtle stickers and put them on the objects that for you represent areas in your life and specifically in your media consumption where you want to see change or maybe you need to see change. And then over the next 40 days, when you see that sticker, it's a reminder to you. It means nothing to anybody else, but you know what it's calling you to and inviting you to. So maybe it goes on your laptop, maybe it goes on your phone. Uh, maybe the sticker needs to be on your TV remote. I don't know, but I'm guessing that you do. Take as many stickers as you want. When you run out of stickers, start hanging post-it notes, building reminders in the areas that you want to see change. We will be happy to mail you stickers or you can come and get them at the church office as well. Simply send me an email and I will send these stickers to you. I want to invite you, even if you don't buy into any of this Jesus stuff, even if you're only sitting here watching this today to like please your, your wife or your spouse or your parents or whoever it is, I want to invite you to join us in this journey anyway. You don't need to accept any of the Jesus stuff in order to try this and see what impact it has in your life. Here's how it works. Joseph Grenny, in his book, Influencer, says that in order for change to really happen, to stick in our lives, it must be practiced and it must occur in three different levels, three different areas of our lives. There are three levels of change. They are, so, uh, they are personal, they are social, and they are structural. So let's unpack those. Personal. What, what are the whatevers that you've realized maybe you need to quit? that you realize don't live up to the Philippians filters. Maybe it's your internet viewing. Maybe it's the movies or the, the TV shows that you've simply just gotten used to or that maybe your kids talked you into. When a movie is, suddenly gets super vulgar, my kids will often say like, oh, it's no big deal. That's how everyone talks at school. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe that's true. That, that's sad. Maybe it's true. But that still doesn't mean it, it lives up to the Philippians filters. And, and B, if you're seeing that all day long, hearing that all day long at school, why would we bring that into our house too? I think for some of us, perhaps our news cycles maybe need to get put back in their proper place. You know, whether that's cable news or talk radio or online or social media sources. If you're living on a constant diet of news and political rancor, I got to tell you, there's not a lot of light there. There's not a lot of good and pure and, and holy and commendable there for some of us, it's the music we listen to, music that promotes violence or, or objectifies women or, or glorifies unhealthy sexuality. The other night, Kara and I were watching the show on Apple Plus, and it is just, it is so well done. I mean, the writing is excellent. The cinematography is absolutely breathtaking. The acting, the locations, it's all done with such incredible excellence. And I was reminded of Caitlin's talk last week, right? And I realized that I'm tolerating, we are tolerating a whole lot of darkness in this show because I'm evaluating it on the wrong definition of excellence. It's artistically excellent, but morally not so much. And so I'm left with a question and it's a hard question. Am I willing to say to God, God, I'm willing to give up whatever, even if it's really well-made, even if it's really beautiful, even if it's really fun, if it's really entertaining, I'm willing to give up whatever it takes to keep me from running this race. There's a spot in your notes called put a sticker on it. And, and I would invite you uh, to, to maybe just take a moment right now 
to write down whatever coded language you want so only you know what it is. Write down maybe one thing that you think God might be inviting you to walk away from, even for a season, and then put a sticker on it. But as Caitlin pointed out last week, this isn't just about abstinence. Paul doesn't say, simply say, so stop doing the garbage. He does. But he also says, and instead, focus your minds. Think about these things that are good and pure and holy. Be excellent. What, what are your whatevers that you need to now add into your personal life? For me, the whole first 15 and final few has actually been really good for me. Hard sometimes, but really good for me over these last several weeks. Uh, Caitlin talked about the first five-minute app that she's using. I use the YouVersion Bible app, which is a free Bible app. And in it, they have these just excellent reading plans you could choose that are organized either by books of the Bible or topically. And I'm doing one right now that's about our identity in Christ. It's just excellent. Every day I get up and I try to, as soon as I can, uh, to dial in and to read this day's chapter. It takes, you know, less than 15 minutes and it's been really helpful. That's one of my whatevers. I'm going to do my best to practice this every day for the next 40 days on my first 15. So I'm putting a sticker on my phone, both as a safeguard reminder, but also as an invitation to this first 15. I've actually found, first 15 is that been the hard. I've actually found the final few to be much harder to put into practice, at least in part because of that artistically excellent, morally not so excellent show that I was talking about. You know, life is so busy. Karen and I are oftentimes, we don't watch anything all day. And it's just so easy at the end of the day at 1030 at night, 11 o'clock at night to crawl into bed and just want to watch an episode of something. And, and as it turns out, then one or both of us ends up falling asleep to the drone of the television. So for me, for us, even for a season, I want to try making sure the TV's off. And at the final few moments of our day, is spent focusing on things that are beautiful and artistic and lovely and all the things that we should be focusing on. So I'm going to put a sticker on my TV remote if Kara's down with that. I haven't actually asked her, but she might be. And that actually brings us to the next component of change. There's the personal, but there's also the social. And that's tricky too. I mean, I can't just make a decree in my house that this show is now verboten and we just can't watch it. Decrees don't really work in my household. And we still need to address this issue. I need for Kara and me to be on the same page and support one another. How hard would it be if she wants to stop watching, but I just keep watching the show? I mean, that'd be, that'd be super hard. That's not cool. It would be so much easier if we're in it together. And it's not just personal, right? It's, it's true, not just if you're married, it's true for all of us. We need other people to help support us in this. Chris said it early on in the series. He said, reach out with two hands, one hand to God and one hand to another person to help you in this struggle. I think so often we try to do this. We try really hard on our own, but if we stop at trying on our own, it will fail every single time. See, there's a social component to the scripture talks a whole lot about the company that we keep, the friends that we have, the people that are shaping us. Which, which whatevers are the people in your lives pushing you towards? Are we encouraging one another to live in the light or inviting one another to consume darkness? Who in your life is helping you fix your mind on Christ or conversely, who in your life is, is encouraging you and constantly recommending that, that you watch the latest episode of insert whatever garbage people are constantly recommending to one another? I have to admit, I, I have recommended that show that I was just talking about. I've recommended that to several people. It is a great show, except the parts that aren't. 
We need one another. I'm not saying dump those friends, but the people we allow to speak into our lives have a much bigger influence than we sometimes realize. We need one another. We need to be encouraged and to encourage others to, to hold accountable and be held accountable. We need people who are speaking the Philippians filters into our lives. It's why we do groups like this, this truth and grace for moms. What group of people need truth from scripture and grace from God poured and spoken over their lives more than moms of young kids? It's why we have this pursuing God men's group. It's a band of brothers helping to hold each other accountable and walk in the light. It's why we do small church and the prayer groups and a lot of these different groups that we do. We need one another. So there are personal areas of change. There are social areas of change, but there's a third level. There may be some structural changes that need to be put in place in your life and in, in mine. What do I mean by that? When I was a kid, there was one television in the whole house and it didn't have cable. And it wasn't in our family room. It wasn't in our living room. It wasn't on the main floor at all. It was way down in the corner of the basement. In my current house, we have something like six TVs. You see, when distance learning happened, all of our teens, all of our kids suddenly needed to have TV monitors, right? Computer monitors in their rooms. And, and those were really expensive. It was way cheaper to, to get these little TVs. They're Black Friday specials. I mean, it was just good stewardship, right? And now we have six TVs and all of them are surrounded by comfy couches or beds. <laughs> I have to ask, does that structural change in my home environment from when I was a kid with one TV to the home that my kids live in today, does that make it easy and natural to abstain from mindless viewing? Or does it make it easy and natural to always have it on? Eat meals in front of it, go to bed to it, never escape it. Granny says this, I think it's really helpful. Make bad behavior harder and conscious and make good choices easier and obvious. Take the cookies off the counter and put a bowl of apples there. <laughs> what structural changes need to happen in my home and in your home in order to make this new pattern more likely to succeed? How about phones? I mean, that, that's a huge one. In our house, and I'm guessing in all of yours as well, do you have screen time limits, content limits on your phones and the phones that are in your household? Do you have intentional downtime for yourself and for your family? Here's a question. Where do your phones sleep? Do they sleep in your room? In an agreed upon charging station in a common space like the kitchen or the office? I'm not saying you can't have a phone in your room. I'm just saying that if phone behavior is bad for you or for people in your family, make it harder and conscious. So you have to intentionally make the dumb choice and make good decisions like going to sleep easier and obvious. I might end up with stickers all over my house. We'll see. We may need to order more stickers. That's cool, they're cheap. Just good stewardship. What personal, what social, what structural changes do you need to make in your life, in your daily patterns? Like Dan said a few weeks ago when he was preaching, we can't tell you what that looks like for you. We can't give you a list of church-approved songs and, and videos and movies and blah, 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 blah. Even Socrates, who wasn't a follower of Christ, said, an unexamined life is not worth living. That, that's what we're inviting you to. We're saying, take this season, take this moment to pause and just examine 
Where in your life do you need to see change? Are you willing to say, God, I'm willing to give up whatever. I'm willing to do whatever to better align myself to you and to your plans for me. We're inviting you to examine your patterns and then put some stickers on stuff. You see, we're all practicing something. And whatever we're practicing is what we're becoming. It's a place to write this in your notes as we conclude. We become whatever we practice. Let me pray for us. God, this issue of media uh, is an issue that, that no generation before us has faced in the way that we are facing it. No generation has been shaped the way that media is shaping this generation and the next generation. Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that for me and my family and for all the people that are viewing this, all the people that are gathering on Sunday morning, God, that Holy Spirit, you would convict us, that you would give us a renewed desire for you, a renewed desire for that which is excellent and true and honorable. Holy Spirit, we need change. And so we pray, God, that this series, that these words, that your truth would stick in our hearts and become evidenced in our lives. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.